0: I'm Mike Gorman, and you're listening to the Celtics Pod podcast for Celtics Blog. Here's your host, Adam Taylor.
1: What's good, everybody? Happy Monday. Honestly, content's wearing a little thin already. I'm, I'm kind of concerned about this, but we've managed to figure it out. Obviously, there will be some draft breakdowns. We're going to get some interviews on the in the w- coming week, weeks. But for today, myself and Mr. Greg Manakis. What up, Greg? What's good, everybody?
0: How we doing? Thank you so much for sending in your questions to the mailbag because, as Adam said, we were struggling.
1: Struggling isn't the word. I was like, dude, I honestly don't know what we're going to talk about and what is worth speaking about right now. So Greg came up with the idea of let's just tweet out some mailbag questions and see what happens. And uh, we got a good response, actually, to be fair. We got responses on Twitter, responses on Instagram, Instagram. Um, We will try and get through as many of them as possible. Can't guarantee we'll get through all of them. But if you've asked a question and we didn't answer yours specifically, feel free to create a group chat with me, Greg and Will, or send us an email or whatever you want to do. And we'll make sure we get back to you with uh, an answer for whatever question you had. So Greg, I know you like this first question a lot, and I thought it was a really good entry point into the show. And the question was from a Dylan and Towns, and it's basically saying, do you think that the Celtics' perception of a cold-hearted, no-loyalty franchise changes now that Ainge is no longer in the team? So basically, does that reset the way the team is viewed now that Ainge is left? And I know you kind of felt really, um, really compelled to get this question in, and I think it's a good entry point. So why don't you give your answer to that to begin with?
0: For sure. Yeah, that was a great question. You know, this is something I kicked around in my head as a potential reason for Danny's end. Like as it was happening, I was like, hmm, I'm wondering if this could be one of the reasons why Danny Ainge decided to hang it up. Right. There are a few things Danny had said recently that were a bit worrisome with regards to race and the impact that may have on free agents looking at Boston as a place they might want to play. Right. So the first was in the aftermath of the Kyrie incident. When Danny said he had never heard any players say they dealt with racism in Boston, when literally earlier this year, Marcus Smart did a whole video about it, which is awesome, by the way. If everyone hasn't seen that Marcus Smart video, make sure you go check it out. Um, And then secondly, I don't know if you saw this, Adam, but a clip resurfaced of Danny talking on a TV show. I think it was like a Mormon show or something like that, um, where he was asked about NBA players getting involved in politics and social movements. And Danny basically said NBA players are out of touch and the only two people he would trust with such an idea um, is Pop and Steve Kerr, right? So Danny is like an older white guy. Um, So promoting Stevens, who is well-liked despite what some people on Twitter want to say, someone who's kind of super in touch with everything going on in the world. And then in addition to that, if we're targeting a black head coach, that could help attract people who might think that, you know. One, Boston is a, a racist franchise or, you know, a franchise in a racist city. And two, get rid of the idea that Danny Ainge is someone who has, you know, these uh, ain't loyal type of thing. So it's, it's interesting, right? Because Stevens is now in a weird place as a head coach turned GM. So he's, he's a coach that never badmouth players to the media. He's sort of like that anti-Michael Malone, I guess. I don't know if you've seen Michael Malone recently, but just going off in the media about his team. So now we get to see kind of how loyal Stevens actually was to certain guys, right? Because in the media, he was saying, oh, you know, I love Marcus Smart. I trust Marcus Smart. and He would never badmouth anybody. So, you know, I'm kind of interested to see where you're at with it because to me, it's definitely something that's worth talking about was how much was Danny Ainge's recent comments with regards to race and just his overall cold-hearted, you know, disloyal, nature where he's willing to trade anybody even his son um, you know how, how could that impact the way that our franchise is seen for people that might come play here
1: yeah so I agree um, quite wholeheartedly I mean Marcus Smart didn't just do that video either he did a whole piece in the Players Tribune about encountering racism um, when he was leaving the Boston Stadium the TD Garden
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, so Ainge to me was a little bit. Not even a little bit. He was culturally insensitive in Completely. those comments. Yeah. Um, I think that he's from a very distinct time in basketball where players were paid to play. And there wasn't a player power movement. There wasn't the level of platforms that players have now with social media, with, um, with the internet. So I don't think he understands how much weight what how, So, like, you know, I don't think he understood the backlash of what that Isaiah, tr- Isaiah Thomas trade did to the Celtics organization mm. from a being able to acquire new talent standpoint. Players now are far more empowered as individuals, as collectives, and they understand that, you know, they are the product on the floor. So they expect to be treated in a certain way. And while everybody knows it's a business, there's still ways to conduct that business. And I think Ainge is from a very specific time where you're paid to play, I'm paid to put the team together. If you don't fit into this team, if you're you're a a square peg and I'm trying to put you in a round hole and it's not working, I'm going to trade you. I think there Mm -hmm. needs to be a little bit more nuance now. Um, And as you say, Brad Stevens comes in um, with a very good track record of supporting his players on cultural and social issues, Mm -hmm. a very good track record of developing working relationships with players from different backgrounds, different ethnicities, and he's going to bring a more modernized feel to that front office. And I do think that that is a bit of a culture reset, a bit of a palate cleanser for not only when teams are dealing with the Celtics front office, but when players are entering into um, contract negotiations or free agency discussions that dealing with Stevens is going to feel like they're dealing with a more modernized, more um, culturally educated individuals than if they were speaking with Danny Ainge.
0: Yeah. Cause it, you know, I think a lot of the GMs out there probably had Danny Ainge's number blocked, right? <laughs> like if Danny Ainge is calling me, he's trying to screw me over. Um, so that's something I hadn't really considered is what that would do to the other front offices. Danny Ainge is out, so now there's somebody new in there, and you know maybe it's even to the point of mm, is Brad Stevens somebody that we can exploit, and they're just like more open to having those conversations. And then Stevens might be able to kind of bamboozle them and in, in get some good deals for the Celtics. Because I think after the, um, after the Kyrie deal, you know, the Isaiah Thomas deal, the Celtics weren't really able to pull off another heist, right? I feel like the Kyrie deal, although, you know, there are a lot of issues with that because of Isaiah Thomas's involvement in it, was definitely, you know, we won that deal in the moment for sure. Like you get Kyrie Irving 100 times out of 100 times, in my opinion, with Isaiah Thomas's bad hip being involved in there, you know? Um, but that is another thing because the Isaiah Thomas point of it is huge. And I, I don't know how much you've covered that on this pod before, but when, when it happened, dude, I wrote an entire article about how this might be, this might be known as the curse of it. You know, I like it's it's a, it, it's a really interesting piece. I wrote it for my old blog. I think it was my old blog. Um, but it just talked about like, what if, you know, this is the thing that comes back and is a kind of Sisyphean torture of of Boston Celtics fans because Isaiah Thomas gave his hip. I mean, his sister died during that playoff run. He was just emotionally, um, you know, just like completely distraught. And he came back and dropped fifty, played through that hip, and then in the offseason we traded him, right? And that's just like not good karma. That's just really not good karma, whether or not you believe in that stuff. Um, it it to me, it was just like the ultimate Danny Ainge move where it's like, man, now this dude, Isaiah Thomas, hasn't even gotten a real contract since then. And it just, it it was messed up in the time, man. Do you, do you put much uh, stock into that whole Isaiah Thomas thing?
1: I put an imme- immeasurable amount of stock into that Isaiah Thomas thing. I think that players look at situations objectively. They yeah. look at what the playing team's like, what the coaching staff is like. But most importantly, I think especially high level players, players you're trying to acquire in free agency and stuff where there's multiple offers on the table. They're looking for stability as much as possible. Most of these guys have families that they need to move across country or they need to live away from for a time. Mm -hmm. And, If I'm that guy, if I'm like, if you're talking to me as a free agent that has multiple offers on the table, I'm looking at what Isaiah Thomas went through and being like, this guy gave his soul to the team. Like, granted, he came here as like a throwaway piece just to try and get some bench scoring, and the Celtics elevated him, put by putting him in position to be a star. But at the same time, it's like this guy was your star. He was literally. The reason you were overachieving, he was the guy. He would not let you lose. And by moving on from him so callously, regardless of the fact that you're like in that trade, you make that deal 10 times out of 10 because it's Kyrie Irving coming back. But where's the stability? You're talking to a guy like Kawhi Leonard or Kevin Durant, and they're looking like, I could bring you a championship ring and two weeks later get traded. Where's the stability in that? And I think that held Mm -hmm. a lot of... um a lot of stuck in a lot of players' minds when they were dealing with Boston. And I think that's why the Celtics have consistently missed out on some of their top targets over the last few years. But
0: it's interesting though, right? Because if it's a top target, like a top 10 player, I don't think Danny Ainge makes a deal like that in those moments. You know, Isaiah Thomas had overachieved. So we were selling high on a guy that's value was never, ever going to be higher, you know? So like if we brought in a Kevin Durant or Kawhi Leonard, there's no chance that we then flip them in, in, in a year. You know what I mean? So, um, but in terms of just like objectively how players view the franchise, would you then consider, I know people have thrown this out on Twitter for years now, would you consider signing Isaiah Thomas in this offseason just to like, you know, kind of bury the hatchet once and for all?
1: Honestly, no. And I've wrote a piece about this uh, about 12 months ago. And my reason being is Isaiah Thomas, for everything that happened and the way his career has gone since he left, he left the Boston Celtics legend, right? Mm, yeah, he, yeah. He won't be the same player when he comes back. And if he struggles, if he struggles to get on the floor, he's playing under a different coach. Maybe if he was coming back to play under Stevens that understands his strengths and weaknesses, and we know that can accentuate those strengths, maybe there's a bit more realism to it. But for me, bringing Isaiah Thomas back now, all it's doing is adding tarnish to that, to that legacy that he left on the team. I don't think that Burying the hatchet now is, I think it's too late, you know, too too much water under the bridge. And I think that whatever you see Isaiah Thomas do, it's never going to, it's always going to pale in comparison to those years we got from him. So in my eyes, you're tarnishing a legacy and I'd rather leave the memories intact for all the good than have to add a few chapters on where they're just kind of like, where you're here and we all know that you're here because it's kind of putting a bandaid over a wound that long since healed.
0: I got you so how about this then if we're not bringing back Isaiah Thomas right if that's just not the way that we're gonna you know to rebuild the the view of the franchise if if Brad Stevens first move as a GM is to go ahead and trade Mr. Celtic Marcus Smart wouldn't that continue this narrative that we're not loyal to players that give everything to the city so in this offseason You put any weight into the idea that we should keep Marcus Smart because if if we're talking about loyalty, Marcus Smart has been nothing but loyal to this team.
1: I think there's two ways you can look at that. Like, the first way I look at it is like Marcus Smart has shown nothing but loyalty, but make no mistake, if he got a better offer during the last time he was in free agency, he probably wouldn't be here right now. Yeah. You, You know what I mean? Like, it's a business for both sides at the end of the day, both the team and the individual. And I, I think it's much different to trade a guy away that's played through a hip injury and a tragic loss of a family member, to trade him away callously mm-hmm. and to trade a guy whose contract is going to probably be more than what you're willing to pay him at the end of the season. There is a possibility to leave for nothing and there is an expiring deal who is also on the, the best salary matching contract on the team. I think that's a little bit of a different scenario. I could see why people would think it's a lack of loyalty but from a business standpoint that's probably the most the smartest move to get a decent return um in that in any trade discussion
0: yeah i'm with you i'm with you on that but i do think that if the Celtics move forward and we're talking about like you know kind of figuring out a way to rebrand this franchise and you know all the talk about boston being a racist city and all that I think Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, and Jason Tatum is a pretty good place to start in terms of three guys that I, I you know, I feel pretty confident about their stance on social issues and their ability to, uh, you know, be leaders in the community. So if we're talking about beyond beyond the court, beyond basketball, and just like making Boston sports and Boston fandom just a little bit more woke, a little bit more socially conscious, I think those three guys are definitely three guys that I would feel, you know, more than comfortable more than confident being the guys to lead that movement forward into you know the the rest of the 2020s um but i i i feel like we've covered uh this first question enough shout out to whoever that first person was can you can you give them credit one more
1: time adam yeah his twitter handle is at towns t-o-w-n-e-s and then dylan d-y-l-a-n that was a great question um i think that took us down a bit of a rabbit hole but i really liked it Uh, The second question that we got was from Celtics underscore P R M, so Pat Ram, and it's a two-part question. So we'll we'll look at the first part and then we'll look at the second part. So the first part is: Can the Celtics roster, as currently constructed, salary-wise, use the 11 million of the remaining TPE and re-sign Fournier for roughly 15 to 17 million per year?
0: Okay, Kate, so I'm not much of a cap guy, so i'm I, the way I interpreted that question was do we do we have the cap flexibility to do that? so I think you're better at answering this question than I would be.:
1: Yeah, so when you acquired Fournier, you acquired his bird rights as well, so you can pay him what you need to pay him to retain him, and then it's all about how much the team are willing to go into the tax, what they're willing to pay. Yes, they can use that eleven million tpe um obviously they're probably going to have to send a, a a form of salary out as well so like you could send out Marcus Smart's salary and then bring back an 11 million dollar contract you just can't aggregate smart salary to the tp mm-hmm. so it, you if say just to make things easy if Marcus Smart at 10 million dollars you couldn't add him to a trade and bring back 21 million dollars mm-hmm. you can still only bring back that 11 but there is ways that like it, you can physically do it and you can afford to do so It just gets trickier when you start dealing with the second part of this question, which is, could the Celtics do a sign-and-trade with the Pelicans? And he's gave an example of like a sign-and-trade of, the Pelicans receive Campbell Walker, and then you sign sign Lonzo Ball, who's just signed a new contract and been traded to you. Now, the question was, does the collective bargaining agreement allow it? The answer is yes. Does that work for Boston? Completely no. So when you acquire a player from sign-and-trade, so when that player is signing a deal and being traded to you, so you're acquiring that player, you become hard capped, and that is a big issue for the Celtics because they've got Jalen Brown on thirty, what is it, thirty something million a year. Jason Tatum's extension kicks in this year. I understand Kemba Walker's going to be off the books, but you still got like, and the only way you can theoretically do that and stay underneath that tax line is to waive this re-signing Fournier. And then you have to ask yourself, who's going to help this team more? And is it going to be Lonzo Ball or is it going to be Evan Fournier? And understand that if you do make that trade, then now your your future moves for the remainder of the season are very limited because you have a hard stop at that tax line and you cannot go above it because you are hard capped.
0: So, what, what can you uh, rephrase or repeat that rule for me? Is it, do you become hard capped when you acquire someone via sign and trade? Yeah,
1: only the team acquiring the player. So the Pelicans wouldn't become hard-capped because Kemba Walker already has years to run on that deal. But if you acquire a guy, so um, when Kemba Walker was signed and traded to Boston, so he signed a deal with Charlotte and then instantly got traded, that was a sign-and-trade. The Boston Celtics then became hard-capped for that season.
0: Okay. Interesting. Yeah, I didn't I didn't know that one. That, that, was, a good, that was a good question, though. Um, yeah, I mean, when, when the question was first asked on Twitter, I was just like, man, I don't know if this is the question for me, but I did have some guys that I would be interested in, you know, bringing into that TPE 11 million space. Um, so I'm going to throw some names out there at you, Adam, and you tell me of these names that I throw out there, which ones you would most want to acquire into the TPE space. So we got Rodney Hood, Larry Nance, Jeremy Lamb, Montres Harrell, Maxi Kleber, Seti Osman.
1: So I like Larry Nance. Um, I've been a fan of Montrez for a while, but I just don't think he fits what this team's trying to do at all. Um, Chidi Osman could work. I think that he's had some flashes. Again, I'm not sure how much he works with what the team's trying to do. Do they really need somebody like Chidi? Who was the other guy that you mentioned? There's one more. Uh, Maxi Kleber. Maxi Kleber makes sense. Um, again, does he give you enough as a, like, um... Because he'd be coming in as, what, the third option in that rotation for his position.
0: Um. So where do, what do you see Kleber as? I see him as kind of like a stretch four. See, I see him as a stretch five. Hmm. But you could run him as a stretch four and it would work. Because I, you know, I've seen him. I thought he did a decent job guarding Kawhi Leonard. Like not many people can guard Kawhi, so I think he's one of those guys that can deal with the bigger wings of the world. And that would take a lot of pressure off of Jason Tatum, because so I think Jason Tatum and, and Jalen Brown, for that matter, I think they have to guard up a lot. And I think over eighty-two game season, that's probably too much to ask of them. Um, so he's someone that I could see maybe. When, when the playoffs come around, maybe being a small ball five, but during the season, I think you need a little bit more size throughout the lineup. So I, I actually like Maxi Kleber a lot. I'm just wondering what it would take to get him from Dallas. I know he was kind of falling out of the rotation a little bit towards the end of that series against, uh, against the Clippers. So, I mean, do you think like the 16th pick for Kleber would work or we would have to attach another asset? And would you do that?
1: I don't know if I'd do that for Kleber. I think it wouldn't be enough anyway. Like Mm. Dallas, Dallas have found that they're like, they need an extra piece down the line. And I think that if they were going to be dealing in any sort of trade talks, they'd be looking to get back pieces that help them win now, rather than a young guy that's a project, especially because they've realized that Luca's work, like they need somebody that can play off of Luca a bit more or, Mm -hmm. and, and ease that ball handling duty, um, if they're going to keep Paul Zingas, then they're going to need someone that can put Paul Z- find Paul Zingas in more favorable spots than what he's been finding himself in when healthy this year. I don't think that they'd move on from Kleber for a draft pick. And that's my biggest issue. It could work. like If his contract fits into that TPE, then you could probably get him for maybe this, this year's first, a future first, and a second. Maybe they'd they'd feel like doing that, but that just mm-hmm. feels like a deal that you'd strike with a team that was looking to enter a rebuild, even now or in a year or two. And with the way Luca's set up to be that franchise um, superstar for a while, I'm very doubtful that they're going to be looking at draft picks in you know, as draft as like trade collateral. But what what if what if that that
0: 16th pick is an asset that they could then attach to Porzingis to get rid of Porzingis? You know, because they're gonna—he has negative trade value, right? So they need a couple more assets that they can um, entice other teams that might have the space to take on a Porzingis or in a you know in a problem for a problem type deal. Um, so that's the only—that makes why. more
1: sense. That okay. that makes a lot more sense if you're doing it to try and move off from Porzingis because he's a negative value contract. Then great, but uh, again, it's going to be for me. Dallas are in this weird position where they can't afford to get worse. Mm-hmm. But they're gonna need to in order to get better. Do you know what I mean? They have found good talent, like Dorian Finney-Smith. I think is a good pick, a good talent for them. They've mm-hmm. maximized Hardaway Junior's talent, um, his scoring ability. Uh, Jalen Brunson has been fantastic for them. I think that they're in a position where they'd have, they need to move on from Paul Zingas to get better. But I'm not sure how comfortable they are with taking a year of regression and selling Luke on that.
0: Yeah, I could see a three-way deal working out for them though. Like Kleber to the Celtics, 16th pick um, goes to the Mavs, and then no, the 16th pick would go to the Mavs, but then would be sent to the the Cavs, right? So if you want to get Kevin Love to go with Luca Porzingis in the 16th to Cleveland, Kevin Love back to Dallas, so that leaves Dallas with um, they'd get Kevin Love, the Cavs would get Porzingis in the 16th, Celtics
1: get Maxi Kleber maybe. See, that could work, and that fills a need everywhere. I think that's probably one of the more realistic trades I've heard that I think that could improve each team that's involved. Hey, man, we're just freestyling here. We're just freestyling. But I feel like Kleber <laughs> Kleber, and Larry Nance are the two best options out of those names thrown out there. And if I had to choose one, then I would lean Larry Nance. Okay. But you could still figure out a way to do a three-team deal there. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. You know? Sure. Um, but you got, again, just... Go ahead, sir. Uh, just for this um, hard cap situation, what that does, just so everyone's aware, is it means you cannot go above the tax apron. Last mm-hmm. year's tax apron from the season that just ended was 138 million, according to CBABreakdown.com, and apparently it's going to stay that way again this year. So the Celtics wouldn't be able to go above that tax apron if they did acquire Lonzo Ball or somebody similar via a sign and trade. And I just obviously, with the way Kemba's situation is, and then the co- other contracts on the team, um, a hard cap scenario just doesn't make sense for me when there's so many different moves that need to be made to improve this roster. It's like putting a handcuff. It's like handcuffing one of your hands behind your back for the rest of the the negotiations.
0: Mm-hmm. All right, What was next on that uh, on that yeah, mailbag? I'm just
1: looking which one would be good. Um, let's have a go with. Okay, are the Celtics as constructed, and this is from Celtics Canada, are the Celtics as constructed, assuming Evan Fournier re-signs, a top three team in the East, if there are no major injuries? Are, you, are, the, are the Celtics better than Milwaukee or Philly? Um, and then obviously the Bucks is Tatum better than Brown? Or is, is Tatum and Brown better than Giannis or Middleton? I think the one team that we've ignored here is obviously going to be the Brooklyn are the number one team so mm. what you're saying is are the Celtics better than Milwaukee and Philly and that's that's a, that's a up for discussion right now uh, personally I think Philadelphia um, and I was speaking about this on another podcast I was on earlier today I think Philadelphia are an amazingly well constructed team this year uh, I hate saying that especially on this podcast but it's true I think that they've got probably they're the best secondary create team with the best secondary creation in the league the way they can hit players on post entries and then redirect for a kick out and stuff like that. Um, So I don't think that the Celtics coming back next year as constructed with just having Fournier and no other changes apart from a draft pick. No, I do not think they are better than Philly. Whether they're better than Milwaukee is definitely something that I'm willing to debate.
0: Yeah, right. So if there's no major injuries, so basically it's this, this year, everything that we wanted from this year, everybody being healthy, does this team, if we had faced Milwaukee, say, if, if we hadn't gotten hurt and we faced Milwaukee in the first round, would we have been able to take them this year? Um, I, I, my answer is maybe. I actually think the Celtics are better than people kind of left this season thinking about them. Um, because Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, when you start your your franchise with those two guys and Jason Tatum playing at the level that he's playing, there's no reason to say that Jason Tatum can't be the best player in a seven-game series against against the Milwaukee Bucks. I think that's, that's not off the table for sure. Um, Kemba, I think, is going to need a readjustment of his role. This is something that Will and I talked about on uh, the Green with Envy pod, and we were just talking about. You know, Kemba needs at some point to make the make the adjustment to being a six man. And I don't necessarily know that he's going to be willing to do that in green. I think that's a move that he might be more willing to make on another team if he gets traded. But who knows? With the new coach coming in, if we can convince Kemba to come off the bench and you start smart Fournier, the Jays and Lob Williams at center, um, that's a pretty solid start in five. And I would like to see Fournier with a uh, you know, full training camp. Um, not having just recovered from COVID to see if the defense that he was unable to play in the playoffs was you know something real or is that just a product um, of you know of him just having gotten over CoVID and not understanding C- Stevens' system? So I, I do think that the Celtics might be better than the Bucks, but I agree with you. Philly was my actual pick to win, win the finals this year. Uh, I, I was watching a lot of Philly towards the end of the season. And, dude, their defense, you talked a lot about their offensive versatility, but the defense that they can throw out there with Embiid, um, you know, taking care of the paint. Ben Simmons, who was my choice for defensive player of the year, um, put him on anybody and he'll lock them down. Matisse Theibel, that dude is an absolute problem. And then you got Danny Green, as long as he's not guarding. Trey Young (laughs) is still a solid defender. Um, Dwight Howard as your backup center gives you 15 solid minutes when Embiid needs to rest. They just got a lot of good guys, man. Uh, Moss has found his role. Shake Milton has found a little bit of role. And then Tyrese Maxey. Tyrese Maxey can really play. He can really play and make a lot, of, a lot of difference. They got George Hill. I completely forgot about George Hill, and I was watching the game the other day. I was like, oh, man, they got George Hill. They got a, a legitimate 10-man 10, 10 rotation, and I don't think the Celtics match up well enough against the Sixers. Um, Embiid would just kill us in a seven-game series. Ben Simmons, I actually think – we got really lucky. He was hurt in the bubble last year because I think he does a really good job on Jason Tatum. And then Matisse Thybul, if you put him on Kemba Walker, like Kemba can't do anything. So it'd really be can Jalen Brown and Marcus Smart beat Joel Embiid, <laughs> and I don't know if that if that's going to happen.
1: The other thing to notice as well, and I completely agree. Um, the other thing I've got as well is if you run this team back with health, sure the the top end of that roster performs way better than what we've seen this year. However, the issues with the bench, the unevenness, the um, again, the square pegs for round holes, that's still there. The too many people in the big man rotation to put Grant Williams in, a, in an area where he could succeed, that's still there. Figuring out how to utilize guys off-ball like Romeo, like Neesmith, that issue's still there. I think that the team, talent-wise, could definitely be... Um, capable of being ranked third in the East. I, I don't think that's a question. When you look at it on paper, as talent. But in terms of actual roster construction, I, I would have my concerns about running this precise team back. Now, if you want to make a couple of fringe moves, leave the core as it is, keep Kemba, and just try and, you know, flip a Carson Edwards and a Grant Williams for whoever it may be that's going to come in and they fit more into the system they give you a little bit less of a lug jam at their position and they fill a hole at the four or they give you another wing with size that can just defend or can hit freeze out of movement or spot ups then i think that you could cement them as the third best team but for me fringe moves are are needed for me to unequivocally say yeah these guys are better than the books um what about
0: rob covington you a fan of him? He's got one more year left on his deal. I know he gets kind of he gets passed around a lot in this league, so it's like, oh, he's more of a theoretical guy. And once you got him on your team, you're like, eh, what does Robert Covington really bring? But he's he's sitting around there around the twelve million range. Um, would you consider him as a fringe a fringe move? Like if you package Romeo the sixteenth and Thompson's contract, is that too much to give up for Robert Covington? Would that be the type of player that you're targeting?
1: Yeah. So I watched a lot of um. Portland this year and I think he was solid all year um what I would say is if you're packaging up Christian Thompson and bringing back a wing you're going to be a little bit short at the big man rotation unless you go and get Nerlens Noel like I would really 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 want them to do mm-hmm. but he's definitely the sort of player I'd think that could elevate this team I know that a, a few teams have brought him in because you get that perimeter defense he can hit his freeze he can drive the lane a little bit um, but he knows he's like a, a tertiary guy or a 4 4 fifth option on an offense and just plays hard defense. Yeah, He is exactly what this team was missing this year, just another perimeter defensive stopper. Um, I'd be more than happy with that. It's up to see Romeo go, but I think unless you're going to be putting Romeo with the ball in his hands as a point forward or a point guard more consistently in the upcoming season, then all you're doing by keeping him on this roster is stunting his growth
0: for sure. And, you know, there was another question that was thrown out there. I don't know if we want to transition into the uh, Kemba for Horford question, but if if you wanted to make sure that you're not giving up too much of your big man depth, that Kemba for Horford deal, you know, in addition to a Romeo 16th and Thompson for Covington, you know, would leave you with Marcus Smart, Evan Fournier, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Al Horford, Robert Covington, Lobb Williams, Smith, Pritchard. Which is a pretty solid nine, ten man rotation
1: there. The only question I've got, and I know how Horford would solve some of this, but where is your shot creation coming from? Yeah, I mean it I guess it depends where
0: how much you value Marcus Martin, Evan Fournier's ability to to create shots, right? I think Marcus Martin actually, when you when you tell him Marcus be a point guard, actually does a pretty good job. Um, Fournier, I Going into the playoffs, I was a little bit more excited about what he could be, um, and then in the playoffs, for whatever reason, he just like couldn't create anything. So it's a lot of pressure on Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown for sure, um, you know. But you I got mean, you got two facilitators at the top, right? You got Horford and um, the delay action, Lob Williams in the delay action, and then Neesmith definitely showed some signs. I don't know if you're ready to you know say Neesmith, go create shots, but I think your your point on the last pod with Will that within the next 18 months, Neesmith could be a three-level scorer. I don't disagree with that at all.
1: No, I think he's definitely got an ability to be a two-way wing in the next 18 months easily. But I think that that roster, that rotation, is a huge upgrade. Um, you you get additional playmaking from the five with an ability to stretch the floor. Some veteran leadership, off Al Hawford. We know that that DHO system that they can run in that delay, um, probably moving to running some Chicago um, on the wings i think that it works really well and maybe what i want to see is them add some more via so you know um v is where your initial screener sets a ball screen then sets a pin down for a wing to lift see see that al hawford running in those roles but most importantly if you're going to be going with that that lineup that you've just mentioned i think you have to be very confident in jason tatum's ability to continue improving as a playmaker Mm-hmm. And that's not just hitting your primary action. Um, it's being able to see secondary and tertiary cutters. So when your initial actions close down, you still have options available to you. And I think that we saw Jason Tatum this year elevate himself to become a very reliable playmaker and hitting route A consistently. And over the next 18 months, what you want to see from him is being able to read who's cutting weak side, who's coming back door and being able to make those secondary and tritiary reads. If he can do that, and if you're comfortable with allowing him to continue developing and dealing with the hiccups as they come, then this rotation that you've mentioned here is um, leaps and bounds more talented and more set for a deep playoff run than the rotation we saw this year.
0: Yeah, and I was actually gonna pitch trying to go out and get a Mike Conley um, in a sign and trade, but once he said the hard cap issue about acquiring a player via sign and trade, I'm, I'm kind of rethinking that whole idea because I don't know how that would mess up the cap situation. But one thing I, you know, I, I've really been pushing in Kemba for Horford is something I want to see happen, but I also want to see us. I, I don't want Marcus Smart to be the starting point guard um, next year. I think he could do it, but you know I, that would probably require us resigning him to a longer term deal if we're going to keep him on the roster it's just like his value is just decreasing and decreasing as a, as a trade asset um but you know i i was thinking if we were able to extend marcus is he still extension eligible
1: i honestly don't know i don't think he is okay
0: yeah because
1: I, um, I might be wrong that it's actually something I, I don't know it's not something i've looked into so far this offseason
0: yeah and with mike conley playing at the level that he's playing at um i don't know that we'd be able to fit him in on on smart's current cap number um so i just don't think that works but he's a guy that i I would like to see kind of play that point guard role for us um because like we said like so smart fournier who do you see as the more important shot creator for this team if you had to pick one
1: i think marcus smart is the better shot creator i think evan fournier is more talented as a um he's so you see, when you're talking shot creators, you've got like shot creators for others and shot creators for themselves. I think Evan Fournier can get his own shot quite reliably, but I don't trust him to be a creator overall. The way I trust Marcus Smart, I think Marcus Smart just knows the knows the personnel around him, and um, he does his work on the scouting report, so he knows how defenses want to play the team. And he reads defenses a lot better than what Evan Fournier does. So I trust Marcus Smart as the primary like creator playmaking type over Evan Fournier. Probably every day of the week, to be honest.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm 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 big on Smart as a as a playmaker. And I think he just does a really good job getting Jalen and Jason easy shots as well. So I think there's a lot of a, a lot to be said about actually asking Tatum and Brown their opinion on Smart as their potential point guard of the future because if they think he can do it and they they want to play with him then by all means i would be down to give smart 18 mil if it kept if it kept the jays happy for sure
1: and i mean just to kind of move on from this um this line of line of discussion i put a tweet out earlier saying how i was super excited to see who the no coach was and what type of scheme they implement and what type of um offense and defense they're going to run Is there anything, and we'll we'll wrap up with this. Is there anything specific that you'd like to see ran, or players that you'd like to see become more involved in the offense from what we've seen in the last eighteen months to two years? Is there anything very specific where you're like this one tweak or this one player being more involved in actions could elevate the way this team operates?
0: Yeah, I think Neesmith is probably the guy. Um, just the, his ability to move off screens kind of in that um, Duncan Robinson, Doug McDermott role. Um, I, I think that he he can cause a lot of havoc with teams, you know, with split actions and things like that. And um, I, I, I would like to see him get a lot more of an opportunity to just create havoc off the ball and running off of screens next year because – he, as we saw, he wasn't as good of a spot-up shooter. He always seemed a little bit more comfortable coming off the screens. And if you watch the tape of him at Vandy, that's really what he was doing. Um, so I think he needs to improve as a spot-up shooter. But if we can play into his strengths a little bit and get some more actions with him coming off, uh, you know, double staggers or things like that, or second side action, double staggered screens, I think that would be really important.
1: Yeah, I agree. Getting him, um, just getting him lifting off corners, curling off the screen, and then just shooting in motion. Um, I think he's very reliable in that area. And I think that if you can get him to hit 37 to 40% of his freeze in that type of manner, then the amount of spacing he's going to provide and and the headaches he's going to give teams is just going to open up so much more for guys like Tatum and that. Um, And then I think running stuff like, um, you know, running some more wedge screens, like having... um, having Neesmith create off ball confusion with his movement and then running a wedge screen to get Tatum, that, that mid post kind of possession area that he likes and mm-hmm. letting him get to work there, or maybe run like a wedge into a cross so he can, he can turn off that post and have that mid range jumper or a floater from there. I think there's a lot of, them. Um, cool and unique things that we can look forward to. And hopefully whatever coach they bring in is inventive enough to at least mess around with some of these ideas. There's so many like for everything great that Brad Stevens did. I do feel like um his offensive sets were very much like uh, you, you, you create a momentary advantage and then expect you'll, and hope your star can capitalize. Whereas sure. there's other coaches out there at the moment. Um, If you see the way Philadelphia played. Yeah. Day, yeah. Props to everybody on social media that covers the Sixers. You all did a fantastic job with your film breakdowns yesterday. Um, I learned a bunch watching them and going through them. I think everybody that covers that team done a fantastic job. But the way that Duck Rivers was running one action into a second action and then you know running it back with a variation, that's not something that we've really seen off Brad Stevens over the last two years. And I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing that creativity injected back into the team.
0: Yeah. Doc, Doc's really good at that. And just think back on the time with uh, the big three, he had so many great sets because it, you know, that, that was not a read and react system or five out system whatsoever. He had so many great sets in there. And, you know, if Neesmith can kind of fit into that Ray Allen mold, Ray Allen was one of the reasons why we we're able to run so many of those great sets, you know? So um, Neesmith is someone that I definitely want to see more involved. And then just in general, I think Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown being in more actions together and like really developing a chemistry between those two, those two players on the ball, um, you don't really see too much of that. right? It's, it's your turn, my turn. A lot of it's Jalen in the corner, which I think he thrives in. That was something that we got away from earlier in the year this year where JB was shooting for the first time in his career. A majority of his three-pointers were above the break. And then more as we got healthier towards the end of the season, he was back in that corner three role, which he, he's one of the best corner three-point shooters in the league. Um, so I want to see him, you know, maximized in the in the spots that he's comfortable in. Um, but I also want to see more action with Tatum and Brown.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. I think just figuring out ways to be super creative and then maybe being a bit different defensively as well. Not switching every pick and roll. Not um, relying on Veer backing so much to bail you out because of size and stuff. I think Brad Stevens is going to implement a bit more size into this rotation than what we've seen previously.
0: Yeah, I mean when you see when you see the teams that are playing well in the playoffs, right? Cuz there's one thing to be said about um getting, you know, getting a team through the regular season and the way that the Celtics were, you know, kind of constructed in the past 5 years was more in the Warriors build, right? The Warriors were the team to beat and they were playing that small ball lineup. Now when you look around the league, the Phoenix Suns are huge, right? The Philadelphia 76ers are huge. There's all these teams that are just getting bigger and bigger, and you're going to have to deal with these Joel Embiid's of the world and DeAndre Ayton's of the world, and it's, it's a problem, man. It's a real problem. We need more size. I remember, and uh, I, I know we're a li- running a little over here, but I remember maybe like, I think it was the 2017 or 2018 season, Jeff Van Gundy was obsessed with the size of the Celtics on the wing. He, every time he would watch the Celtics play, he'd be like, man, the Celtics are just so strong, so big, and so athletic on the wing. And now, we're, we're like one of the smaller wing teams in the league, you know? So just in a in a couple of years, we went from being this team that was like, you know, athletic specimens, to now we're undersized. And I think we need to get back to that, um, back, back to the just kind of evolving with the style of the game, and the teams that are a problem in the playoffs. And we need to if if we're looking around the league, right, if we want to get out of the East, we're going to need to beat Philly and we're going to need to beat Brooklyn. I think right now we could probably take Milwaukee. But getting back to that question from earlier. We need to look at those two teams and be like, all right, if we really want to contend, we have to start building a roster that not only complements the Jays, but also is realistic in terms of matching up with the best teams in the East.
1: Yeah, and I think that the one thing to note is like, Since that Warriors dynasty, one thing that's become a lot more prevalent in um, the ensuing draft years is there's a lot more talented guys. There's a lot more size with skill than there used to be. So being a huge team no longer means that you're big and athletic without fine skills, without good motor skills, fast twitch muscles, ball handling ability, floor stretching ability. There is a plethora of guys out there now that have legitimate size and length but can crush you up and just pull up and drain one in your face. They can rotate over and get a block shot, and then hit um, a nice picture head leak out pass. There's a lot more size with skill in the league now, so it is very—it's not easy because these players are still like higher tier players. But it's far easier to construct a team with that length and skill ability than what it was in previous years. Yeah, you know,
0: someone who kind of fits that mold that I I really liked a lot, and it's, it's both of them. I don't know if they're twins or just brothers, but the McDaniel's kids. Uh, jaden mcdaniels and his brother anytime i saw them play i was like man those guys like i don't even know how old they are are they rookies or in their first couple years but dude like those type of those types of players that are like six nine and above super long that can do multiple things on the court and just like be a problem defensively like you think about semi ogile we said we weren't going to talk about semi on this pod but like his, he's one of those guys that had size, strength, but no skill, but still had value four years ago. And now he just doesn't have any value in the league anymore because he's not a skilled player. If you're not bringing in skilled, skilled people that are athletic, then you don't really have any business being on an NBA roster.
1: Unless you're taco sized at seven foot six. Exactly. Exactly. And even then, you know, if, if that still held the same weight as what it did back in the 90s and early mm-hmm. noughties, Taco wouldn't be a two-way guy, he'd be on a max deal right now. You know, so the, the state of the game's changing. The skill level of these bigger guys, these more athletic guys, is improving year on year due to the, the sports science departments, the training, the, the, the knowledge that coaches have now. And I do think that Brad Stevens made so many comments about like just saying we're small. We need to fight. We we don't have the luxury of having length to the tier passing lanes. We don't have the luxury of being able to make our presence felt down low. And I do think that one of the things I'm coming into the next couple of years, I'm not expecting it straight away. But one of the things I'm expecting Brad Stevens to do is to really make an emphasis on adding size to this roster. I think that that was something that was more led by Danny Ainge than what it was by Brad Stevens.
0: Yeah, for sure. I'm I'm with you on that. I'm with you on that. Hey Adam, look at this. We got to we got to forty six minutes when this morning we said, I don't know what the heck we're gonna talk about today.
1: That's that's the beauty of social media and people just giving us content. So I do want to <laughs> say thank you. Also, as I said at the top of the show, if we didn't get to your question, we're sorry. You know, we could have gave really um passive answers to these questions and not really gave much thought to them. But I thought that some some of these questions were so great that we could really get deep into them. And then if you do want us to answer the question you asked, then um, you can, mine and Greg's social media will be um, hyperlinked in the description of this show. My email address is over at Celtics blog. You can find it by clicking on the masthead and then you'll see the little envelope. And um, Greg's available with his DMs open on both Twitter and Instagram. So you can hit us up. Uh, Greg, is there anything you want to say before we let these fine people get on with their day?
0: Um, well, I guess I can plug some Black Sheep Optimist, which you're about to hear um, at the end of this show. Uh, we just shot our first official music video uh, yesterday, actually. Um, so if you could follow me on Instagram at Manakis underscore music and at Black Sheep Optimist, that would be dope. We've had a few people who listen to this show actually uh, come follow us on on Instagram, which has been really cool to see that y'all are messing with the music and that you like me as a host here so i uh, appreciate everyone that's listening
1: awesome so greg you might as well just lead everybody out tell them what the song's called and where they can and yeah just tell them what it's called they'll know where, <laughs> and where they can find it yep go ahead dude
0: yeah so this is my band black sheep optimists three words and this one is called d Lo. ain't disrespecting you hate is that ain't sweating your opinion y'all testing my patience never did it for a check i've been impressed with the